All right, guys, before we get started, I want to talk really quick about our sponsor, and that's Patch Chunky Shop. Uh, Patch Chunky Shop is an Etsy shop that specializes in uniquely designed patches. Their stock includes everything from military style morale patches to designs that reference popular culture. They also sell patch related stuff like patch mats and patch bags that you can stick your patches to. So if you get a chance, go to their website. It's www.patchjunkyshop.com and use the promo code Salumis for 10% off of your order. Once again, that's S-A-L-U-M-I-S-T and instantly get 10% off. Um, I want to also talk about Skype. That is who we've been using as of late to do these podcast episodes uh, because we want to exercise caution and really pay respect to the social distancing and the different types of uh, rules and regulations that are going out there right now. Uh, we chose to use Skype to hold a lot of our episodes. So Skype isn't the only platform out there that will allow you to do this kind of stuff. So if you have anything like Google Hangouts, if you have Zoom uh, tons of other platforms out there that will allow you to connect with other people and really get whatever message that you have out there. Or if you just want to connect with any of your friends and loved ones, there's tons of platforms out there. But if you want a good example of one, Skype is what we've been using, and I highly recommend that. All right, let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Salimus Podcast. I'm tired. I'm tired of this society. I'm tired of being here. I'm tired of making excuses and allowances for people's inability or downright refusal to grow and see different or bigger pictures. We're in an age where we're battling anti-intellectualism, where it's wrong to be wrong, and we mask our unwillingness to be wrong with shit like, well, we can just agree to disagree, or we all have opinions and are entitled to them. No, you don't get a pass for mindsets that perpetuate systems that restrict the growth of our society. Change is something that is coming, but there must be chaos to bring it in. Old systems and structures that represent the limiting and oppressive groups of people must be burned to the ground and from the ashes must come something that is representative of America that actually is not the America that was. In this episode, we're joined by a lawyer and police officer, and we try our best to make sense of what has happened and what can be done. We talk about things like criminal justice reform, racism, privilege, whataboutism, social media, and much more. So while this is a long discussion, I hope that this is the first of many that can cause a shift towards the America that we all want, but can't seem to properly communicate how to get. So I present to you all episode 891. I hope you guys find value and I hope that it makes you all want to question things and want to reach out and just have discussions. This is the kind of stuff that we need if we're going to get better. So here we go. Here. Okay, so um, I just I want to thank you guys for all jumping in here for this uh, conversation. Um, obviously, it's been a very crazy ass week, and um, you know I have been uh, very quiet on on social. I've been watching. I've been just paying attention, seeing what seeing what people are saying. Um, lots of people just lots of people exposing themselves you know there's there's some people that are trying their hardest to to get uh, some kind of a message out um and so what i want to do today is is have a discussion from different perspectives and maybe different perspectives who knows i i i tend to think that 
Chris, Mark, and myself usually have a, a different view of things. And uh, But I just want to be able to put everything through the grinder and try to come up with just some kind of understanding that our listeners can can take with them. Um, for me, at least, it has been... It's been very, very tough. Um, I liked sometimes I like to think of the way that the world or that society kind of works as like the matrix. Right. And everyone is everyone is plugged in and everyone is just hooked to the same IV and they're all into the same shit. And everyone is just all the same. Pretty much everyone gets pissed about the same thing. Everyone is happy about the same thing. And we're just getting fed all this kind of stuff. And for the longest time I had sort of been plugged in as well. And by plugged in, I mean that there were certain things that I would make allowances for, and especially when it came to uh, race relations and stuff, there were certain things that I would make allowances for in hopes that it would help people's understanding. You know, I would, you know, crack the joke or I would laugh with people or I would help with, I'd help someone or someone would, would not be afraid to ask me a certain question. But as more and more and more of this stuff goes on, and and what the moment that I became unplugged from the system and started viewing the world a lot differently and seeing that there's com- there's completely something bigger, deeper going on uh, beneath the surface, um, it's it's been very hard to view things. Um, and so, again, my hope in this conversation is that we all do or I can understand why. I have way more anger all of a sudden now than I have before. Um, why I am becoming more and more distrusting of people that don't look like me. Um, and, and, and I'm kind of throwing my anger like everywhere. It's just, it's just everywhere. And I'm, when you, when I see things like the, the rioting, when I see things burning, for me now, the my idea behind it is that I want the chaos. I want things to burn because there is a system that is built in the image of like people from the 1700s. You know what I'm saying? Like it was it was built in those people's images. And I'm all for burning and tearing things down. But I will build something back up if I can. I think that's the place where I think we need to be better is to build some build whatever everything that we're burning down or tearing down we need to back up in this new image that i believe that uh that we could create and i think that the reason why there is always rioting or always stuff burning or getting blown up or whatever you want to call it is that we aren't taking that extra step of rebuilding it in our image. We're still allowing the same system to come back and rebuild it in its same image again. You know, you see the, you know, the the owner or the, um, for example, the CEO of, of Target put out a great message uh, saying, you know, these people really felt it. We're going to pay. We're going to take care of our people. We're going to, you know, rebuild the store, all that kind of stuff. But they're even part of an uh, of a bigger system that still also contributes to a lot of the hardships that are happening in communities anyway. And so I just 
I'm just I'm just so frustrated with it all. I don't I've been gun shopping. <laughs> it's it's been so crazy and and it's not it's, Yeah, you it's need to get because, rid of that Springfield though. Shut up. <laughs> like, you need the Glock. It's it's, been, it's just <laughs> yeah, been, damn, yeah, Springfield. I've been thinking of, you know, looking at different weapons and all sorts of stuff and when I think of things like like the police, and thank you, Todd, for being here. It means so much to have uh, an officer on here. But when I think of things like police, I'm just like, damn, who's watching them? I can and I, and I can only hear there's you know there's going to be a bad apple and all and everything. Like I I can only hear that stuff so much, and it just doesn't seem like we're holding everyone accountable. It just it just doesn't seem like it. And maybe I'm just looking in the wrong spots or whatever, but uh, it seems also like fighting, fighting injustice or fighting tyranny or something is not something that belongs to black people because it seemed like that was the right thing to do in the 1700s. I mean, ships got blown up over tea. You know what I mean? Like it, obviously there was a lot more to it than that, but it's like they're, there it just seems like whenever something goes wrong and people are revolting it just seems like it's a bad idea when black people do it i i'm going to stop there i've got a lot more ideas i don't want it to start to get jumbled and stuff like that but let's use that as a springboard and let's begin this conversation who wants in first i want to well, can i can i see you guys did you say, Kalu, that you can't get your video going? Yeah, it's yeah, it's really weird. Chris, you got you're up there, I think. I can, but I'm I'm kinda in a muddled situation on my cell phone where I have a sick puppy that's in my face and like laying on me and shit. Um, <laughs> well, ask your question, Chet. What would you what'd you say? So we have Chris, Kalu, and um, Mark. Mark. Are we mm-hmm. waiting on anybody else? We we may have one more join, but uh, we they'll they'll join in whenever they're done if if they're able to. But it's all good. Okay, I didn't I couldn't tell if Carlos was joining us or not. So he is what. doing an announcement. Bro. I, I guess he's going to run. <laughs> I was like, awesome. So okay, yeah. So I'll shut up now and let everybody else talk. No, I thought you had a question or something like that. No, I just wanted to know who all was okay, here. Okay. Hey, cool. Yeah. yeah. What What did you mean when you said that protesting? Or fighting tyranny doesn't belong to some. What did you say? It doesn't fighting. seem like it belongs to us because it seems like it's looked. So, say it, say it again. You did. You mumbled it again. Fighting tyranny doesn't belong to who? Yeah. Black people. Oh, okay. What do you mean by that? Because it seems like, like we can't do it right. Well, I actually, I, I, there's always a deliberate bid that I see anytime this shit happens to strip black folks of their humanity first thing to like to reduce black folks to an abstract or assign terms like thug or acting like animals or whatever whenever there's some upheaval and then meanwhile again like say downtown lexington cars get flipped over and a bunch of drunk college kids are wilding out and shit like that. They get called revelers by the news. And that's over a ball game. And that's just one thing. Um, I think the riots, again, like if you if you look at like Dr. King talking about riots, you can have the duality of condemning 
destruction in and of itself, but you are fucking up horribly if you don't reverse engineer the shit and see why it's happening. And are, are I, you yes. saying are you saying that you feel that there is an impression that black people are not allowed to fight tyranny? I still don't. It's, That's it's what it's no, like. I, I, I it's feel like impression. there's there's a deliberate bid to anytime black people try to, there's always a deliberate bid to strip them of their humanity somehow so that the message gets lost. Not not in the effort, not in the movement, not in and of itself, but as far as how it's it's presented to like the zeitgeist, American yeah. culture in general. It And then I, I, again, immediately you have people that are skipping you know, we're starting at point A, if we're trying to be objective about this. Okay, we're, we're dealing with this very volatile situation that has a lot of facets to it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are skipping to, like, point F or Y even and being like, well, I don't agree with the way they're going about doing it. And it's the same group of people that didn't agree with kneeling at the national anthem. So you're left with this situation where, again, immediately there's this bid that you see even amongst people that you know personally, that that you know probably don't hold any intrinsic hate towards black people that they're aware of, that are espousing this belief of like, well, you got to do it another way. And that just shows a complete lack of understanding for the plight of black folks in general. Okay. Okay. Shep, I want to, I want to see where you and I just want to see where you and Todd stand. I think it's important for you to talk. (laughs) What I'll say is that Kalu, whenever you messaged me earlier Mm -hmm. and asked about today, you know, whenever Todd came home for lunch, I said, I-, I need to know what your positions are on X, Y, and Z, because I want to be able to answer those and to provide the guys with um, what you would have them know. And then I thought, no, actually, they just probably ought to hear it from you directly. So, yeah. Uh, and, and no matter what you think, this is this is one thing with us, man, like. This is not the zone where people are going to get crucified for saying anything like I want everyone to be 100 percent honest because I I cannot. It's Facebook is not a good spot to be able to have these discussions. And I think it's a lot easier uh, doing it on here because when I'm having a a talk like this with anyone on Facebook, I've gotten to a point where where when they'll message me and say, like, what do you think about this? My response is. What do you want me to say? Like, what kind of answer do you do you want to hear? Because the Internet right now is full of echo chambers. And like, I don't want this conversation to be one giant echo chamber of people agreeing with each other. Like, I know that it sounds like right now that we're like, obviously, we're, we're I would imagine we're all unhappy about what's going on. But I do believe that the those of us that are in here, we each are going to be coming from different points of view. So, I, you know, anything works. So do not feel afraid to say whatever you want to say. Well, I would say um, you, you talked earlier about, you know, there always seems to be a bigger picture, a bigger plan that mm-hmm. kind of finds itself falling into. And as a as a police officer, I'll say that uh, really the most discouraging thing about uh, this is a this is a cycle. I've been a police officer for 16 years and multiple times during that time we have. Um, something like this happened and the focus uh, zones in on 
on police. And mm-hmm. obviously, you're gonna you're gonna zone in on police brutality. What we watched happen sure. in, in uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis and, and and I don't know a single police officer who's watched that video who wasn't raised and thought, how does that even happen? How does a a vile culture in an organization breed and get to that point to where you have uh, a police officer with, without the slightest bit of of concern as a man yells and and and, and pleads for his life, pleads even to his mother for for help and, and gets no response whatsoever. But the uh, really discouraging part about all this and, and what I think is going to be really discouraging in the end is that this country needs massive criminal justice reform at all levels. But the focus always goes down to the bottom level, the ground level, the police. Mm-hmm. And then after the, all the outrage and everything comes out, you know, people still can't tell you who their judges are. They can't tell you who their prosecutors are. They can't tell you which prose- which uh, politicians have voted to cut funding for public defenders' offices. They can't tell you which politicians have cut uh, police benefit packages that have made it impossible to hire quality people anymore. Um, and 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 the police become this whipping post that it's very popular to hate on and everything. And 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 I'm coming from like I said, I've been doing this for 16 years, so I'm. I woke up this morning almost on day 6,000 of being a police officer. I still haven't killed anybody I'm not supposed to kill. I still haven't beaten anyone into uh, unconsciousness who wasn't supposed to be there, and yet I'm supposed to um, to feel a certain way or uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the recipient of community outrage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what did I do to get it? I mean, honestly. And, and I, I've, I've went uh, you know, – <laughs> I think that criminal justice reform is a huge issue that we that we need to address. But honestly, I don't think it'll be addressed. I mean, we'll, we'll fall back to the yeah. we'll give we'll give police another extra forty hours of training this year on cultural diversity or or bias or whatever it may be, and and prosecuting attorneys will continue to convict black males ninety at ninety percent rates and cut breaks to to white people. I mean, it's just. Um, we're, we'll continue to focus where the any organization where you want to change, uh, you have to start start from the top, and it, it works its way down. But for whatever reason, the criminal justice system, uh, the focus always is up being at the bottom and expecting <clears throat> at the ground level, and, and it never works. And and the politicians and, and folks who are really making. Uh, the laws who are making this criminal justice uh, issues the way that they are get away free and they love the fact that the police are the whipping post for everything. And I just want to jump in and say Todd mm-hmm. had a status this morning on Facebook that I thought was great. And you'll have to tell me kind of what the phrasing of it was more that police brutality um, is not stopped through training, but it's stopped through the hiring process. And when, you know, in talking about that and what Todd and I've talked about is you can't show somebody a slideshow or a PowerPoint and teach them to value human life. You know, that has to be vetted out before that person even gets a badge or even gets the opportunity to train to become a police officer. You know, you have to be able to gauge someone's humanity um, before then because you can't teach that. You can't you can't teach that you shouldn't kneel on someone for nine and a half minutes until they die. I mean, that's not something that you learn in a training session. Um, But, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but 
I feel like we have to have some type of resolution this time. Uh, and I don't know how we find it. Well, yeah. and, and, and I have been, I've been in civil service, public service for about a decade. And I've worked extensively with, um, you know, city police, county police, and state police in varying capacities, APS, CPS, whatever. Um, I have a lot of friends who are LEOs, not only here, but in other uh, municipalities and counties as well. What ends up happening? And again, like I'm 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 there, you know, whenever the meth lab blows up and there are children and it's three o'clock in the morning. I was the guy that would show up. And after, you know, the necessary precautions were taken, would take children into the state's care like I was that that fucking dude. So I was afforded a little bit more of an insight, I guess, more candor than the average individual. And also, I don't look like a typical social worker either. Like, I, you know, my my head's buzzed off and I've got a big old beard and I lift weights and shit like that. So I would see it. And overwhelmingly, especially, and, and, and I'm not going to denigrate or mention any agency in, in particular, but the city cats tended to be a little bit more professional about things in general. Just in general, they just seem to be more professional about things. Um, and again, I know a lot of you guys, but I think fundamentally you make an excellent point by saying you become the whipping post because you're the boots on the ground. I think it's the same kind of principle that's used when they bait and switch and blame poor people like people in poverty for the economic woes of the working class. I think it's just another example of pitting struggling people, you know, working class people against other working class people in order to divert attention from the real nefarious shit that's actually going on. And there's really no there's no vested interest in this system, in our current system, in facilitating the well-being of blacks. Let's be honest. With the current system that we have, there's absolutely zero vested interest in facilitating the well-being of the black community. Aside from the sports and entertainment end of the spectrum, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's bleak. Like sure, Todd was sure. saying, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. And it, it, it's very much a bait and switch thing. And, and Martin Luther King talked about it. Riots occur. People do all this damage. It, it further jades working class whites a lot of times because they're like, well, look, you shouldn't be out destroying your own shit because they don't get it. And then black folks get pacified on some level or complacent on some level and it dies down again and nothing actually ever gets done. So Mark, I want to get your feedback here on, on that, because I think that that relates to kind of when, when he had spoken about being pacified that really spoke to what you were saying in our, in our crazy uncle Joe episode where you were talking about what you do when a child uh, cries and you don't exactly know how to help that child. Shep, he had made a comp uh, a comment about this in our last episode that he said, when there's a screaming, when there's a screaming child and it's crying, most of the time you don't know what it's crying about. It can't articulate properly what it's angry about. So the first thing that you do is you go up to the kid and you pacify, it, you hold it, you carry it. And he was making the analogy that a lot of the government has done that to the black community because the black community doesn't know yet 
it's still very young. It, it's not it's it's not that far removed from slavery and stuff, and it's still very young. And so being able to properly articulate what is going on, what is wrong in a way that makes sense to those that are in power, it's that's part of where a lot of the problems tend seems like it's occurring. And so, Mark, I wanted you to sort of expand on that in this uh, uh, in this thought and see maybe make some kind of a connection here. OK, yeah, that's a big connection to make. Is my mic working? Yeah, yeah, it's your phone. Okay, here. it's flashing over here. Um, that's a big connection to make. Uh, but um, I do. You you have reminded me what I was talking about. Uh, so first of all, Todd, thanks for jumping on, man. Uh, do, I, you just finished a shift, I think. Clue said. Mm-hmm. Do do you you work uh, in Bowling Green as a police officer, or you're somewhere else? Yeah, I'm here in Bowling Green. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, I was born. I was born and raised in Bowling Green. I'm living down here in Nashville, working in the rat race. I was, I was always wondering though, wanting to ask before I try to make the connection clues asked of me, like from your perspective, 16 years, that's a, that's a decent amount of time. And, um, like, what do you see, man? Like, what do you see missing? Like it's the gaps to, to get, to get your fellow officers and people in your profession better prepared or better able to have success in, in their interactions with the public, especially when it's in, uh, an arrest situation because those are that's everyone's having their worst day when you run into them. You know what I mean? And and uh, what do you see as missing? Guy, I've never heard anyone weigh in that's all, that's in law enforcement. Like what could be improved? Because we we kind of want to think that there's not enough training in the world. I think we've intimated that already today that maybe training's not enough. So what do you think? I mean, training is uh, when I say training's not enough to. What we yeah. saw in Minneapolis, there's no training that can stop. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But uh, but absolutely, training training is is invaluable as far as as dealing with with people like you said. Yeah. As a police officer, you're dealing with things uh, every day, multiple times a day, where yeah. it's a person's worst day of their life, and for yeah. you, for you, it's just Tuesday. Yeah, and so. So you, you, there, there is a, a training for training for these things, these, these, uh, de-escalation trainings and, and trainings for, for people with, with mental illness and, and, uh, and those types of things. And, yeah. uh, training is always the answer to, to yeah. alleviate and, and make it more likely for successful resolutions to happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, that, that goes to, a lot of different things. One is 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 don't don't be cheapskates whenever you're 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 doing your budgets. Uh, to oh launch. yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, makes sense. And they underfund it, right? I mean, yeah, you get what you pay for in anything in life, and, mm-hmm. and law enforcement is no different. I'm I'm blessed to live in a town in this part of Kentucky where you can make a decent living as a police officer. You're never going to be never going to get rich being a police officer. But I know guys. It's surrounding air agencies around here, guys and gals who are making twelve dollars an hour to be a police officer, and and I just don't know where you somebody think yeah. that's a recipe for success. Right. Um, I'm, and, I'm I'm one of those people that that thinks it's a almost impossible job, mm-hmm. it's, it's especially on the um, extreme extreme ends of that curve of the requirements of it. 
So if it's you know an extremely hostile environment where you have to do a lot of uh, aggressive interactions, that it becomes impossible real quick. Or if even if it's Mayberry and you don't have to do anything, it's bad too, and it's psychologically hard and almost impossible for someone to maintain that. Again, because you're, every time you interact, it's never a good thing. It's always a really bad act or a bad interaction. People are constantly lying and yeah, it's it's a. I mean, there's science out there. There's psychology studies out there that talk yeah. about the toll this job takes on a human being. Mm-hmm. Not from day one being a great person. Yeah. And, and it just, after, as the years go on, there's studies out there that basically say at about year 20 is when this person, even if they're a great person who has sure. the greatest intentions, they just psychologically are just about used up at about that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. But, then yeah. you, uh, but then this is where it becomes important to have the, a good exit strategy for police officers. Yep. This is when it is it becomes not okay for legislators to say, hey, uh, police, your, your pension's getting cut just like everybody else's, and you can just have a 401k and work until you're 60. That just, that doesn't work. And yeah. That, it, it doesn't work in, in many levels. It doesn't work because at year 20, from that point on, for the next however many years it takes to you're drawing Social Security or whatever it may be, yeah. uh, what kind of police work are you really doing between that point and the end point? And, That's right. And then what kind of people um, are you attracting whenever the pay mm-hmm. and the benefits are terrible? Well said, man. That's, so, well that's so important. Said. I have, I have just a one, one more, if you don't mind, a question about the technique. I, I couldn't watch the video, couldn't get through it, but you also can't avoid that video <laughs> lately. So I saw, is that, is that a technique? I mean, you see that in military situations. I've seen that knee on the, but I didn't know that was something that that police get trained. Is there any? Do y'all get trained on that? Is that like a real move or something? In, in 16 years, I've never been taught to put a knee on somebody's neck yeah. in any yeah. way or form. And yeah. and even even if I am not trained to doing it, um, once you get a person handcuffed and, and, that, and they're laying on their – having someone handcuffed behind their back and laying on your stomach is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So as, as soon as the, the person is, is detained and the handcuffs are on behind their back – yeah. It's immediately time to spin that person around and sit them up. Yeah. There's no need, even yeah. if they're not crying for that they can't breathe. Yeah. Down I, I was like, they walked him all over the place. It seemed like like really dragged out. I thought maybe they would set him in the cruiser and then they can go ahead and do investigation and everything and even question. Uh, yeah. America, I thought that was strange. They think, what were they doing with him on the ground that, that entire time? It makes no sense. Yeah. Okay. You know, I wanted to ask some. Thank you for that. So make that connection there, Mark. Where, where okay. You were. That's a that's a that's a long wind long winded one, but uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. The connection I think that Kalu was referring referring to, um, and its significance to what Chris just said has to do with our ability to respond to these issues and how maybe it's um, nearly impossible to because the the conquering of African people. When we, when we were brought here to this land and then the a further subjugation of African people was all in commercial interest, you know. And so once the money's flowing, you have to find some other way for uh, 
that commercial interest that commoditized people, African-American people to continue generating revenue or at least not cost revenue. So it's a sort of I think they call that benign neglect is is what they've called in history books. It's a name for that. But it's it's a way of indirectly causing harm and creating a stasis of bad experience for the underserved people in your in your um, society through abandoning them, through not addressing it so being passive about it it's like if you beat somebody up really bad but then you just never talk about it it's bad to not talk about it and redress it and kind of like all right we did a a really bad thing and then we want to get past it you got to talk to get past it you can't just leave it where it was because that person is traumatized and they remain traumatized and the trauma over and over and so when you're going to benignly neglect a body of people uh, i think it reminds me a little bit of like children that are neglected and i think that's what clue was referring to when you have a child that's uh been abused by not getting the right attention from their parents or from the institution where they're at it, it, it sometimes has the same dichotomy as as african-american people and the government at whole right now we're crying out in a way that it's not not only difficult to articulate because we don't have the language to describe what our experience is like, but it's been so long that we systematically and purposely sort of neglected or ignored that there's no language to talk about it. So it's just like a baby, you know, so we don't know what the baby wants, but you know, if you start at a human hierarchy, there's only a few things the baby could want, right? Maybe they're hot, or they're hungry, or they're uncomfortable the way they're sitting, or they want to be given attention. There's only a few things, right? And you got like a system of figuring that out. And you end up even getting to know the baby before the baby can start to speak. You know how to, oh, he's hungry, oh, he's sleepy, and stuff like that, you know. And um, when the child is toddler age, uh, uh, you even know when the, when the child is sort of upset from having played too much. Sometimes the baby needs a nap and they don't realize they need a nap. I'm saying all that to say that, um, I, and Kalu, correct me if this is the thing you were mm-hmm. talking about, uh, uh, but I'm saying all that to say that the African-American community is a bit like that. And I think America just needs to rewind and revisit that with that in mind, that we are people that were frankly conquered and our minds and our psychology is not wholesome yet. It's just like 40 years, uh, until 1964, we were not anything like free. It just started in like 1964 where we started to try to get, you know, regular, be able to operate regular in America without any kind of um, systematic um, oppression against us. And so I think we need to remember that and respond that way so that um, the measures taken aren't like those taken to pacify a child where you don't know what's wrong, you don't really care what's wrong, but you're just trying to get this crying to stop for now, you know. And and so that connection too that I was making there on the on the political end is that we were we were referring a lot to the the Democratic Party. And we we're saying oh, that yeah. a lot of the policies there yeah. were it seemed like they were meant to 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 satisfy emotional needs rather than functional needs. Yeah. Like and that is continuously over a year satisfying emotional needs, you're going to run into a, a situation where it, when there is a functional problem, the only way that people are going to be able to respond is emotionally. Yeah. And they're going it's go, and that emotion comes in the form of breaking shit. 
you know, and it's just like, it's hard also. And, and you had made this, uh, uh comment there when, when, uh, and I'm referring to you, Todd, when you were talking about how it's hard to, for police officers to be able to do their jobs when they're underfunded, you know, it, but that's hard. That's any job, right? It's hard to think about serving a community when you're hungry, when you, when you are struggling to pay bills, it's hard for a teacher to be effective in school when they're when they're only getting paid hardly anything. It's hard for a kid in whatever neighborhood to want to to dream about anything if they don't have a place to properly sleep. And so there's there's multiple levels of these if you want to call it hierarchy of needs or something like that, that are not getting met on every single level. And we, we've created a system where we are literally just reacting off of each other. Now, if you were to go and ask that officer that did this, like what was going through your head? I'm sure you can find a laundry list of messed up things that had happened or things that weren't working at him. Just like you had said, probably underfunded. I'm sure the dude was fucked up at the, at the end of the day, still no excuse. Hope the dude dies. That's just me. But like, there's there is all these different things that have that have probably happened. And the same thing I feel is happen is is going on with the black community. There's it's hard for people to want to to peacefully protest when there's all sorts of stuff. And, and they know even the people know that are tearing these things apart. They know it's going to be back. They know it's going to be back. One of the things that I had talked with Todd about was um you know, right now, in almost every community, the police department does not look representative of the community. Mm-hmm. But whenever you have things like this happen, you can't, you know, turn around and be like, hey, people of color, please come and join us. And be <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe we won't kill you because you're wearing a suit. So, you know, how do we make the police departments be more representative of our communities so that there is a better understanding um, in the interactions with them. But I want to go further than that and say what Todd brought up about the system in itself, you know, starting from the top, police officers just arrest the person. Mm. And from there, you know, you have racist prosecutors. Um, Mm. Some of them are elected or, you know, that then they are hired by those elected officials. You have racist judges or people who are just at least um, not able to understand the biases that they have. And then you have jurors that you, you know, you're not going to be able really to control because these are the 12 people who aren't smart enough to get out of jury duty for that day. Mm -hmm. And that that is. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then you have people that are working for the Department of Public Advocacy who, again, are just like Todd, where they are overworked, they are underappreciated, and they do not get paid nearly enough to be there. I mean, you can barely um, afford rent and your law school student loans on your monthly salary that you get paid at the DPA. So nobody's wanting to go do that. So, I mean, you can't just say we have to fix the racist system (laughs) department because it does nothing once arrests are made. Got it. Yeah. Todd, I want to go about and she said, how do we make police departments look more representative of 
their communities. And, and the, the actual thing that I want to know is how do police departments make being a police officer something that black men and women want to do? Yeah, that's a really good that's, question. That's good question. question. Yeah. Well, and, and, cur- and currently, the, the, I mean, without even having to say it, you get perceived as somewhat of a sellout in a lot of minority communities if you go into law enforcement. That's the, uh, the unfortunate truth. But um, I wanted to ask you, with a, with a criminal justice system that I think everybody that's in on this call uh, knows needs enormous reform, um, do you ever joust with any kind of conflict on having to enforce the laws of a criminal justice system that is so desperately in need of reform? Well, um, first of all, let me let me lead with I don't speak for anybody but myself, but for myself, I don't speak for uh, the city that I work for, the city that I work for, anything. I'm totally making a statement by myself, but, you know, as you get older and you do this job for longer and longer and you see the revolving door and how so many of the things that we do are really not helping society at all. Um, like, I'm, I'm a big advocate for if it doesn't hurt me, why do I care if it hurts you? Uh, and and the, what I mean by that is, why is marijuana still, why is it still a crime? Why yeah. Or if you have personal use, why should personal use cocaine or methamphetamine be a felony that takes your right to vote and carry a gun away from you for however long it takes for you to get it expunged from your record after you straighten your life out? Um, those things like that, where um, what is the real benefit to society to lock up uh, everybody who has a possession charge and ruin their their job seeking uh, opportunities after that for the rest of their life where they check that they, yes, they've been charged with a felony offense. Mm. Uh, what, what good does it do, uh, to, to society to lock away from their children, um, so that they can become involved in the system deeper and, and, and be more at risk to follow in those footsteps. And then, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I really no. appreciate it too. Mm-hmm. Like what, it, sometimes it's just like, what good is this really doing? Yeah. Um, and that's why I was saying earlier, Todd, that it's those small little subtle, um, well, those questions that you, that you raise point to very subtle, like threads of, of what's the root of the problem, if you will. And, and I think it's because there's so much commercial interest in that, you know, we're, we're allowed to generate revenue and sort of capitalize off of too much of the wrong things in America. So even the criminal justice system becomes a way to make money. So now silly things like what you said, you know, arresting people for something that doesn't harm anyone and it, it just draws out forever. You know what? Because there's a little bit of business in there. You know what I mean? And we got to take the money out of that and do like they do in some other countries where you're paid more, the more peace you keep, 
the the better the community is and the the less crime and things there are, the bigger the bonus is for all the police officers in that county or whatever, you know, and it would be easy to do. Taxpayers would be happy to to pay that. I certainly pay more taxes if there was this. I would. Well, well, in in honest to God, and I, I can only speak for myself on this, you know, I work with the public as well, but I oftentimes feel like in the roles that we're in, they pay us just enough to keep us showing up and not so much that it will facilitate us in any meaningful way that we could enact or, or even have the energy to enact meaningful change outside of the scope of our, you know, our profession in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And I, and speaking from my position, um, I can't sit here and defend social workers as a whole. I think a lot of times there's some scraping of the bottom of the barrel when it comes to social workers. I, I encounter a lot of incompetent human beings, and it's not even because of lack of trying on their part. It's just kind of it, it's a it's a system to process people to get them a social work degree and get them in a chair to deal with people that nobody else wants to deal with. That they don't want to deal with society's messes. So here, let's let's put these these other struggling people in here. And then you get CPS. Like when I worked for CPS, you know, working for CPS is is kind of not seen as the most copacetic thing on the planet. CPS gets a bad name for a lot of shit. And I will tell you oh, yeah. that probably. I, and I'm I'm gonna be honest. Probably twenty percent of the folks that I worked with as an investigator had no business Absolutely. doing that shit. And 20% is an unacceptable amount. Yeah. And I think I, I'm being reasonable and conservative by saying that. And everybody fluctuates. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't been perfect. It, it, it's a hard job, just like Todd knows. Ch- Todd does a hard job, but we're imperfect human beings doing the best we can if we are semi-qualified to do that position. So we're going to have have our moments and shit. But there were people that would straight up just deliberately get a kick out of substantiating on somebody. Whereas I show up and I'm like, okay, what is the root of this? Like, let's reverse engineer this. Let's walk it back. And then can I write a prevention plan up to prevent you from being cycled through the system unnecessarily and traumatizing this child? And I'm sure, and again, my exposure with law enforcement officers, about 80, 20, 80% of the officers that I've interacted with have been, especially again, city dudes tend to be a lot of them college educated. And, you know, I've interacted with a lot of detectives and shit. Uh, What no thing treated people like human beings, but I have from behind the scenes seen about 20%. And this is across agencies um, that, that you can just see that they're looking to be adversarial or or the moment that we go and we shut that door to that person's house after speaking to them, they begin talking about that person like they're not a human being, like okay. they're like they're an animal or something like that. And that that's the problem with either one of these fields where we're faced with the public. We're faced with the public on their worst days, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I deal with the SMI population as well, the homeless population as well. We deal with them in their worst points. So that threshold, that 20 percent, it's how do we 
how can we, because we're not going to get meaningful criminal justice reform. I think that that's pie in the sky at, right now, unless something really drastic happens. How do we shrink that 20% down to a really like not statistically significant amount is what I'm looking at. And, right. and, and, and my final thing is, again, there's no incentive for our current system to put anything like that in place. There's no incentive. They want, they want so, uh, social workers that are semi-competent, I feel like sometimes, if I'm honest. Mm. There's no accountability. They want it to look like a complete shit show. So the next thing that I want to talk about is the it's I think it's another part of this system, but it is the the system of of privilege. I think that the people get to us. It's like you really have to work, in my opinion, you really have to work to get to a point in life where you can say shit like I just want everyone to love each other. Like <laughs> thoughts and prayers aren't <laughs> good enough anymore. Like I've seen so many people online that will say shit like like the moment that I see this is the I don't want to get political here, bitch. I'm scrolling. You know, what I mean, it's like, look, you this this isn't the time to not take a side on something. Can I I tell you something real fast while I'm thinking about it? Yeah, I saw on my news feed a we'll we'll call him rural white American shared an article about little Wayne, you know, standing up against, you know, the, the protests and the rioting in, in a very pointed terms from some French news source or whatever. And yeah. he said and with the tagline, get him wheezy or tell yeah. him oh, wheezy or something so, like that. As if little Wayne speaks for the black community on any meaningful fucking level to so begin with. I want, I want to get, I'm going to get to that. Something like that stuff too. What'd you say? Shut I thought that it was Kanye that spoke for the. Oh God, yeah, it really was. (laughs) But the, I think that, like, what has to happen to where you are so privileged that you can sit there and say stuff like that? Like, it's you. Thoughts and prayers don't do shit. I'm sorry, they don't. Actually, I'm not sorry about that. It doesn't do anything. You know, we've been and they've. They say, do you think that you can just go and hug it out? No, dude. And to repeat what I was saying, this system was built in the image of like white slave owners. You know what I mean? And and, and it's built in a in, into the image of people who want a system to it's it's in their benefit for it to be perpetuated. And so I again, I'm all for the chaos. I'm all for things built being burned to the ground. If you're willing to build it in an image that is more representative of the of the community. I would love to see that kind of stuff happening. Now, I have seen some um, uh, instances of people going through and cleaning up the work. There's an article where there was a, um, and uh, I don't know what country he was from, but his, his restaurant or his bar or something got destroyed. And he was literally saying like, we'll build it back. Like this is their, they're not saying they're lashing out, but he's saying he's essentially saying that this stuff is deserved. You know, um, where can we? And I hope that people are able to help him out. But how, why is it so hard to not take that next step? Why do we want to rest in that that level of comfortable privilege? And I see these, you know, and this is going to sound real like 
this is going to sound like a dick, but like there's there's these like stay at home moms, you know, and they're just like, I just <clears> wish <throat> we can we can just well, hug it out, you know, well, and it's well, like, what, it what seems else like that's would they benefit me? Well, yeah, it seems like that is a a benefit of, of another system that they are entrapped in. And it's the patriarchal system where it's designed where a man is supposed to work for you and provide and all this other stuff. And you, you fully bought into it and that affords you the opportunity to go and say shit like this. Like you're some fucking sage about what's going on. When in reality you live in a bubble, a very comfortable bubble. And in some parts of me wishes that I was plugged back in. I wish that I can get back to that gilded cage. Yeah, that gilded cage where I can sit there and joke about race with my friends and and people can come up to me and say stuff like, Clue, you know, uh, why can y'all say nigga, but we can't? You know, like, I wish that it was cool to to get back to that. But, like, now that I've been unplugged from, from the system, I'm just fucking mad, dude. I'm so mad. And, like, it was so disheartening when my mom called me yesterday. And she told me that, you know, and she's obviously my, both of my parents are Nigerian. And m- me, she says, I, I hate that they're doing all of this because it's making it hard for me. And, uh, you know, it's it's obviously going to be hard for a Nigerian woman or just any person that's not, you know, that's not African-American. That's just from Africa or anything like that. It's making it hard for her because we have had to struggle as it is. You know, and people, you know, going to the restaurants and people yelling because they can't under, you know, they thinking that because you may your English may not be as great as theirs, that they have to yell to be able to get you to understand or something like that. I mean, just having to deal with all that kind of stuff, it felt it it was really disheartening to have her ask me that. But still part of me was like, Mom, it it has to all burn. It has to be gone. Um, Where do we get to a point where. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm yeah, just, I haven't seen you as upset in a while, Clue. <laughs> uh, dude, well, it was, yeah, like, well, I straight I up, I straight up said that said, I don't want to live here anymore. I've straight up been like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't want to be here anymore. And yeah, I, I've already started discussions with my leadership to um, relocate to our offices in Singapore. Straight up. Yeah, but um, but um, Tyda mentioned earlier, and it's given me some thoughts about what would it take to get more African-American males and females on it? And that connected to the other uh, terrible metaphors I dragged you guys through. But I made a connection. I just had a thought. I wonder what you guys would think about, you know, it may be that our failing, our witnessing of a failed response to uh, social issues at this scale may be a, a pointer to the failure of our psychology as humans to be able to operate on, in certain regards at a large scale. You know how uh, uh, what's the name's theory is you can only remember 400 faces or something like that. Dunham's number. Is that what you're uh, yeah, 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 yeah. 150 connections. Yeah. 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 I think sometimes that um, because we scaled up so successfully here in America that there's still some of those uh, capacities that we don't have really well developed and maybe taking care of your community is one of them. Maybe it's not possible for you to care about other people at that large of a scale. Cause we're not built to, you know, as, yeah, as kind of animals we are, we can agreed. care about our village, but it's just really hard to care about another village, especially if that village is really big, it doesn't work psychologically. So it makes it easy for me to dispatch with another human being and look like I'm a monster. Look like I don't have any humanity. It's cause I can't care if I got a police 
thousands of people every day and I encounter one bad interaction and it looks like I don't have any more heart for humanity. Well, maybe it's just not possible. So therefore you got to have more police outfits and smaller ones and in smaller communities. Maybe, maybe that's the, uh, the answer is to police be policed by people from your community, but have more precincts. You know what I mean? Instead of one precinct. Oh, like one for Alberton. One for one for yeah everyone yes. has very very strict requirements on who gets to police that area and you know what I mean it's gonna it would take work it would take some financial incentivizing but you could make it work and for people to where they would be incentivized <laughs> to produce your own police force from your own community or your taxes are too high or something like that something that incentivizes people to grow their own uh, that way. You you will care about the people because you're gonna know them when you go to arrest them. You're gonna know you know you're not gonna be so many degrees removed because uh, following uh, attaching that to the metaphor I was using earlier, that's that's what that's why you don't accidentally kill your own baby. You know if your baby's sitting your little cousin that's an infant, you don't accidentally get frustrated and let the baby you know starve to death or something. You know what I mean? It's a it's a crude uh, analogy, but I was just thinking that as as you guys are talking, maybe that's what we're witnessing. We're just we're um, scaling up too big and we can't take care of each other at that scale. Well, and right. and and we can't ignore that there's still this enormous deficit between the liability and responsibility that's involved with being a law enforcement officer and the compensation, that there is just such an enormous gap there because you have, you have to make life and death decisions, essentially. Like that is a very real potentiality every day that you step out. You have to, you have to use psychology. You have to use all kinds of different techniques, therapeutic techniques to deescalate, deal with a litany of different people within the community, sub-communities. I mean, it, it, for what the job entails, the compensation should be, and again, I'm throwing out arbitrary numbers, closer to the six-figure mark. Mm-hmm. And I say the same oh, thing yeah. about, I say the same thing about a lot of, a lot of public servants. It, it should scale up with the amount of liability and expertise that's involved. And then by default, you know, and, and Todd even touched on this earlier a bit. It's going to attract people that people that would otherwise be excellent that are born to be police officers, yeah. but decide to opt for a different profession for more money. Yeah. And you can't fault them for doing that. But yeah. it would it would attract a, a, a different tier of individual as well. Not only would people be happier, again, because you're being compensated more, but you're attracting people that are going to be vying for those positions instead of looking desperately to fill a seat or fill a position. Todd, why did you become a police officer? No. <laughs> you say you needed a job, is that what you said? That's partly correct. Um, you know, I just always had a... I was uh, I was married uh, before I was married to Ashley. And, uh, Are you serious? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, see I had a father-in-law who, who worked at uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority at one of their uh, fossil plants. And, and just, man, everybody down there just made such bukus of money. I mean, just tons of money. And, and, and I could have. I could have worked my way into that into that uh, environment and that kind of a job that kind of 
eight to five or whatever kind of job. And, uh, but, but just the thought of, of having a job that you couldn't go home at the end of the day and feel like you did something that meant something other yeah. than you just sold your labor to somebody. Um, I, I just can't, I, I just, the thought of that, of just living, uh, to go into work, to get a paycheck to me was, was never anything that ever appealed at all. I wanted something that I, I could go home at night and feel like I'd at least had the opportunity to make a difference somewhere. And, and that's why I ended up doing what I'm doing. And I want to talk to you. We, we started talking about privilege and then I know yes, that we yes. kind of started talking about other areas too, but I guess I'll ask you guys, when was the first time you ever heard the term white privilege? Cause I feel like it's been since we were adults that that term is something that, you know, we're, you know, we're hearing more. He sure, said sure. it's been like we've been. What did you say? Ash? Well, feel like it's been when? We've been adults. Like I don't. Yeah, definitely. Remember. Yeah. And yeah. So, I didn't hear that till like 2014. <laughs> right. And it was kind of like endemic in my mind. Less that white people were privileged, and more that black people were shit on. Is how I compartmentalized it in my mind. You know, like I'm thinking, you know, this is the marginalized group, and this is the normative group. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I'm thinking, you know, I was raised by very liberal parents that I feel like had they known that term and known how to qualify that this is what's going on in your life as being a white person, that they would have taught me about it. But they didn't know to because there wasn't a way to explain that. But I think it's incumbent upon every single white parent or aunt or uncle or friend that, you know, a child to explain to them at their level what white privilege is. And on Friday night, I had a conversation with my youngest stepson. Um, You know, we were walking and we saw the protesters. And so I was trying to explain to him, you know, about what was going on and that type of thing. And, um, you know, I said that they're very angry at the police right now because more likely than not, you know, police are more likely to hurt black people than white people. And he said, is that like when the little boy was shot for playing with the toy gun? And I said, yes, that's exactly what this is like. And so then I was able to say to him, do you think if you were playing with a toy gun, the police would shoot you? And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, do you think they would be more likely to shoot you or a little boy your age that has black skin? And he really had to think on that for a second, you know, of, he would have never thought to have that type of, you know, internal thinking about that situation. But he finally said, I probably the little boy with black skin. And I said, why? And he said, because of racism. And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, that white privilege is that you're more likely to be okay to play with a toy gun than a little boy with black skin to play with a toy gun. And even if that's the level that I can explain that to him, that he knows that now so that we can build on even those little lessons the older that he gets um we have to start teaching it now you know what is one thing that was really interesting when you were talking about a toy gun you know where i went to go uh i was out earlier today and i saw a little a little boy he probably he wasn't young he wasn't older than four and a half years old or so and he just kept a he kept a gun in his in his pocket and this thing looked like a real gun and until he pulled it out and there was the orange tip on there i like for a second i was like oh shit is this kid 
for real, is he like packing a, a gun, you know? And part of me was just like, dude, this, this right here of making it okay to walk around like this, this is going to breed a kid that's going to, if two things are going to happen, one thing is that he will learn a respect for weapons because I do love guns just as much as a lot of people do. But my love for them has created a respect for them. So that turns into one of those things where like that is a last, 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 last resort. But if it's the wrong type of person, like that's going to be his first thing. Like maybe he feels protected. Maybe he feels safe because he has a gun in his hand. And that is going to turn into something much later on down the line or maybe even sooner down the line. He gets pissed off at school. He's going to go and shoot some people up. Or if he gets just if he's older, he gets pissed off on the road. Someone's going to get killed like that is a there is a there is a training to use that term that are a failure of training at a very, very early age. I think it starts with even that kind of stuff. It starts with how the parents like uh, help their kids understand things like gun. It starts with how parents help their kids understand things like race, ethnicity, just even their own background. So I can't like knowing exactly where you come from. You know, we, we have an episode called the, the greatest lie ever told. And, uh, what we one of the connections that we are making in there is if the if part of some of the problems within the black community stem from the fact that they don't know where they come from that could, that that's something in my opinion that is valid and also the same thing knowing where you come from also uh, with with even white people because we are saying like there's no such thing as white you know what I'm saying like there's just like there's no such thing as black, honestly, but they were like knowing where you come from and, and having an understanding of your beginnings is a good way to be able to have a better idea of where you're going. And when when you have an entire people, again, that were stripped of their identity, stripped of their beginnings, don't know where they come from, what they have is just confusion, con- is just chaos, is disorganization. And that's what's happening right now. I don't know how much sense that made, but again, I'm I'm like kind of pissed off. I'm kind of excited. Well, and, and how long have the protests been going on in um, Hong Kong? Oh, dude, for it's been going on for a while, man. O- over a year, I would say, but could be wrong. Okay, well, and and they finally got a little bit of movement out of their government. Am I that part I don't off, know. Off base. Well, it's my understanding that the government is beginning to kind of cull some officials that they're calling for their removal and put in place uh, legislation that's in keeping with the demands. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of what I feel like that they is being presented to me is that finally the protests are re- reaching a point where they're making a little leeway uh, or a little headway, but. E- you got to think about the American psychology, the American experience. The, when you go to Hong Kong, and this isn't to stereotype, legit, like, what's an apartment look like in Hong Kong? Like, tiny. just, yeah, like the average apartment. It is beyond tiny. It's like, like, I'm sure somebody on this Skype has a closet that's as big as some of those apartments. But... And then there's a ton of people crammed into a small area, right? 
Well, okay. we have. Well, I have a, both a front and a backyard. Mm-hmm. I've got a workshop. I've got two bedrooms. Okay. Tell me that those two different experiences on what reality is uh, don't impact our ability to kind of foster solidarity, mobilize, and of get course. together in any meaningful way yeah. because they have arbitrarily made us little masters of our own little private fiefdoms and mm-hmm. we're too comfortable to want to jeopardize that shit by standing up in solidarity with everybody else and getting knocked down. Yeah. And you know, you know what's something that to, to make that connection um, and it kind of explains why it was, why maybe my approach to things seems to be different is that I grew, I grew up in, I first of all grew up in predominantly black communities, but after 2000, I grew up in, we moved and we got into a better neighborhood and I was surrounded by white people and I, and I adopted certain things, you know, and I under, there's certain, like, I feel like I learned the system and learned how to play the game at a really early age. And I do feel that it has afforded me privilege even now and but part yeah, of that fucking greenwood uh, yeah yeah it's true but like i i was surrounded by more people i learned how to play the game i and it explained like a, a lot of things you, you think of the like i was saying earlier like how i tolerated those jokes or how i tolerated people asking me those certain questions when in reality i should have been like are you kidding me right now like yeah there's a lot of these allowances that I learned to make because I wanted to win the game. I wanted to be a part of the system. And I know that that is not something that is sustainable for I'm learning now that it's not sustainable for, for black people in America to be a part of that system. That happens to every black male. This is a bit of a tangent, just responding to the particular thing you're describing. I've watched probably six or seven videos just this morning where people were mentioning that same thing. It's an interesting phenomenon. And you have to ask why it it happens as you get older and what happens uh, with uh, your dignity and your sense, your psychology. It gets you get exhausted with it. And then all of a sudden you feel like all those concessions, which is what you're describing, all those concessions you made to be agreeable and to give people the benefit of the doubt when something so grotesquely inhumane is done it undermines all that and you wish you didn't yeah. do it you're like man yeah. i wish i didn't let that slide that time and yeah. uh, i don't know if, if, if people listening are clear to what clue's talking about but what he's talking about is growing up in where you are not a member of the dominant society where you are a minority if you will and you have to in order for op- to to not lose out on opportunities you have to tolerate certain transgressions mm-hmm. and um you think it's worth it because you want you you think you are rep, um, replying to that situation humanely, but mm-hmm. then when your hum, uh, humanity is undermined or disregarded, so like flagrantly, it, it's really enraging because you feel like what did I what did I do all that for? You know what I mean? Yeah, and so part of me wants to, <laughs> part of me wants to like to to hug an officer and be like man, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do, but somehow we're going to get through it. But the other part wants me to fucking scream at them, you know, just like do better, like put people in check. I don't know what needs to be done, you but know, I think that do what 
you know, you know, I had that happen. I've probably told the story before, but I had the whole got the shit beat out of me by a police officer happen to me when I was 16 and hundreds of people witnessed it, you know, and um, and we everyone in our neighborhood was very familiar with that officer and his attitude. And I always wondered to Todd's earlier point, they could do a lot better Um filtering out people who don't have the temperament for that job. I was being a smart ass. I was smarting off to the cop. And then I turned around talking to my friends and whatever the last thing was I'd said made everyone at the uh, youth center burst out laughing. And he flipped out like, like a 12 year old. I was like 16 or something at the time. He was, you know, (laughs) he was, like embarrassed I guess but he beat the crap out of me we went through the whole thing we went to court over we tried to sue the city he got fired a couple of years later but uh, I remember how I remember all the variables like all the moving parts where my mind was when I was 16 what I was doing what I shouldn't have been doing and where he was in fact he was uh that cop uh it felt like they put cops in the projects when they got in trouble I don't want to speak on behalf of the BGPD, but every now and then police officers would sort of get assigned to uh, my neighborhood over there in Gordon Avenue, you know, and it felt like it's when they, cause he was in trouble all over the city. That cop, had, he had pulled guns on two kids sitting on their porch. He, he'd done a lot of stuff that year. We all knew him, you know, it was just a bad cop in the neighborhood. And then I was hanging out at the Parker Bennett center and he was the cop sort of assigned to the center that summer. And um and I always wonder like is that something they did like when when the police officers were under some kind of trouble like you know how on the movies they they give them desk duty or they they mm-hmm. give them traffic duty that's what it felt like because all the asshole cops were the ones that would show up or they'd be there for a few weeks or a couple months then you wouldn't see me and they'd be in other part of cities and stuff like that but anyway Officer Wilson I think that was his last name was assigned to the Parker Minute Youth Center that summer and I had one of those situations that today would have gotten filmed on a cell phone you know and looked all crazy but that guy didn't have the temperament to be a police officer he just was like he couldn't stand anything you know really get red in the face and get angry and yell yelling and screaming and stuff, but you're around like a million kids. So I was wondering, I said to the the guys before, and uh, I know in some ways it may be unrealistic, but I wondered if they could make every police officer take jujitsu his entire time. It takes a long time to get a black belt in jujitsu, so it may be too much to ask, but maybe a brown belt. Maybe you can't have a gun until you get a brown belt. Because a couple of things happen when you learn jujitsu. One, you can't have an ego. You can't make it that far with an ego because That's any martial art, bro. Yeah, well, any martial art. Yeah, because you get choked out just every day just to learn it. So those guys with those bad attitudes and like short tempers maybe wouldn't even make it through the training. Now, it could take seven or eight years to even get a brown belt, maybe. But like maybe something like that. You know what I mean? Maybe you I have said all going on before you I, can ever go out on your own. You got to always have a partner with you. And before you can have your service weapon and all that and be a, you have to be in it for like five years and already taking like five years of jujitsu or something. Because one, now you know how to handle people without killing them because you can put somebody to sleep and every, take your time and yeah. handcuff them. You know what I mean? No one has to die. But but it seems like that would d- like have multiple effects. I always like sort of, I don't know, fantasize the right word, but I always imagine systems like that of ways of fixing our problem, but also keeping it profitable because we can't seem to do shit if it doesn't generate money, but also yeah. taking the people who are the best people in our community, anybody that's willing to 
serve the community in that capacity. You're taking the best kind of people you got and then putting them in the worst situation. It's kind of ironic. You know what I mean? If you're going to climb a tree for a cat or jump in front of a car to save a kid, you're the best people we have. So yeah. you put them in a situation where their psychology gets totally beat down in five or six years. Now they're just like a super stressed out person. It's so, got this impossible job. I just feel like it's it's so easy to fix that. There's two things there. I wanted to say that I agree in in a sense. I've always said that I thought that um, police officers should have prior military experience because um, I just believe that it gives you a better I, I i every every officer that i've known that has had military experience has been some of the they've just seen things and they just seem to have a better grasp of you know like when you see aggression and stuff like that it's just like man it's not that it's not that serious or something like that that's at least what i thought but what i wanted to say to, to you uh to eat to both of you because i think that you both represent um the the two levels of the system, if you will, you know, there's, you know, people go to the, uh, like Todd had said, the, the police officers are the, I mean, they're the whipping post of, of everyone's, uh, rage and everyone's like, that's the first level. And then it gets to the lawyers and stuff. So what I, what I was going to ask was, um, damn, I just drew a blank. Oh my, oh yeah. So I was going to say that we were one of our, one of the episodes I wanted to be able to create was, one that I was going to call like FTP. You've heard the song. Everyone says fuck the police, but it wasn't going to be about that. It was going to be about how police work seems to take good, well-intentioned people and run them into the ground. That's what and, I'm saying. Yeah. And completely run them into the ground and they're fucked by after a certain amount of years and there's aggression and they're worn down and they're stressed out and they're underpaid and the benefits are crap. Like how can anyone properly take care of their community when the benefits are so bad when it's and and that's that also makes me say like dude kudos to you for for being in it for something bigger than that kudos to you for being in to for wanting to be i hate using the term one of the good ones because <laughs> i've had that one used on me before but, uh, thank you for for being one of the the good ones out there but you know i th- that was just a, an idea that i had but I want to my, the last thing before we kind of uh, let everyone go. How do we how do we beat the what aboutism? You know, how do we how can we address one issue when it arrives and not have to compare it to something else to try and prove a point? <laughs> it seems like one of the things and this is the seems to be the problem with social media is the moment some shit happens. Everyone's first reaction is, how do I make this about me? How, you know, there's people that will write the new Testament over their feelings and shit. And I'm just like, Oh my God, it's no different from what anyone else wrote. And someone has 300 billion likes about it. And I'm just like, how do, how do we get past that and just be like, okay, there's something wrong guys. Let's try and fix it. How do we do that? I know how I'll go quickly. Um, It's, it's the same as what I said earlier. I think what we are realizing and witnessing is human beings cannot operate at that scale. We're made for villages. We're made for three or 400 people and we take care of our village, right? Our minds can't operate at that scale. So what people are doing when they do what aboutism, they're trying to localize it. They're trying to pull it into a context mm. and w- that pertains to them directly so they can care about it. And when they do that, that they usually sense. do that superficially. They don't, we don't have the capacity psychologically to uh, 
think like that on that scale. Yeah. And most of us that do are usually ostracized because they have a sort of brilliant systems kind of thinking. And they're usually the weirdos that go off and do something differently. But everyday, normally operating people can't think that way. So what you got to do is not 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 participate at that level you got to bring it back home bring it back local and all that kind of thing and um we gotta Very we have to figure out a way to systematically alert ourselves to when that's happening you know what i mean that's funny you said that because there there are people that are you know they'd be riding in kentucky about an issue in another place where i don't think a lot of people understand that kentucky has one of the lowest assault rates per capita in the nation and so a lot of times you'll see us about anything. We'll, there'll be there'll be outrage about issues in other areas. And that's not to say that we shouldn't care about them. But I don't think that we should punish the people here for an issue in another in another place. And so that's something. That no, I agree. Want, yeah, no, like I agree. I agree with that 100 percent because I don't think I mean, that police officers here should be the, you know, the the get shit on over something that happened in another state. If anything, we should, we should be like, how can we work together but, to be a better example? But then I would also be fueling the people in those other states. Like, Hey, tear that shit down or something like that. How do you, well, it, it, uh, and that's the, that's the thing. It, 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 at the very least, like if, you know, Bowling Green, the municipality of Bowling Green. And again, I'm, I've been out in it and I've been in it, out in it for a while doesn't seem to be terribly problematic here by comparison. You know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, it's if you go to the Louisville metro area, people have some very strong feelings about Louisville metro police, even yeah, prior to, even prior to this last thing that, yeah. that happened. Louisville metro police have have drawn the ire of the black community in Louisville for a long time. Mm-hmm. Also, so, recently, Glasgow police. Oh, yeah, yeah Gla- Glasgow, and I come from Glasgow. Glasgow has always been a shit show ever since I can remember. And then I'm just being real. And and yeah. I've got again, I've got friends that that work there. I, I don't know how it is now exactly, but uh, yeah, it it historically has had problems. Cave City, I guess it was it Cave City or Horse Cave Police. There was some wild shit going again. You don't damn the totality of law enforcement because of that hypothetical 20 percent. Mm-hmm. And that 20 percent, even within that 20 percent, it's a spectrum. It's sure. not they're either bad or they're good. It's where do they fall <laughs> on that spectrum of crossing over a line of what constitutes acceptable or 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 negligent behavior at the very least, sure, sure, because sure. I do believe that officers make mistakes that end up with people's lives being lost without malice in their hearts. But still, you hold a position of extreme and, and total liability on a lot of stuff. The The lesson should be here. OK, what how can we take this time to be as objective as possible about our own agency? Yeah. Yeah. Not and 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 the community at large. And again, I, I haven't I haven't gotten the impression from, you know, I'm leftist as fuck, and I haven't gotten the impression in Bowling Green that there's this bubbling animosity here. Did they do um, protest up there? Yeah, no, they did. Yeah, there's yeah. That. But it, Chip, what were you going to say? Well, on Friday, um, Friday was different than Saturday. I went yesterday. I saw some of the things that happened on Friday. 
Um, but one of the protesters on Friday was hit by a car. They sure. were okay. Um, but Todd, I know, talked with one of the police officers that was down there when it happened. What did what was said when it happened? I'm not sure I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, like he's the the dude that hit the woman. No, uh, what I mean is, what were the protesters saying when the officers were arresting the man that hit the woman? Uh, I mean, I was I was told that you know the obviously it was a very quick situation, and and the you know the guy was pulled out and, and talked to, and the decision was made to arrest him fairly quickly, and and that that there was uh, some. Some cries from the crowd to, "Hey, why don't you, why don't you throw him down? Why don't you put your, uh, don't you put your knee on his neck? Why don't you, uh, you know?" And and you know, it's just one of those things. Like, well, you know, that's it's not what we do, and we, yeah, know, we, we haven't done that. And, um, and all I could think about was from clerks of like, "I'm not even supposed to be here today," you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it so hard to think that Bowling Green is better than a lot of these places? Yeah, know? like, like. It's it's very true, man. Our our we are trying to scale an issue way larger than I think our minds. I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head where we are, and it's and again, it does not mean that we should not be paying attention to things happening elsewhere. But just like I've said it in multiple episodes, the president is not going to fix the potholes and broken roads and all these other things going on in your road. It's the mayors, it's the city officials, it's all these other people in these elections that we that people largely don't give a fuck about. And that is where the real problems has. Like I've always said, when we build a community that that really makes sense and that is truly representative of the people in these communities, no one will care who the president is, dude, because you're you like things that you have going on are going to be OK. Yes, there are going to be some rules and some changes. But if the community is always looking out in your best interest, then the, the choices are at least I believe that the choices and the changes that are made in the community, regardless of what a president does, will be in the best interest of that community. That just seems that maybe it seems maybe I'm you know, it's too much pipe dream or something like that. I don't well, know. think. Think about all the people all of us know, and it's a whole lot for me at least that say, I just don't get involved with politics. I, I don't like that. politics or I don't talk about politics. You know, that's another subset. But four times a year, I don't care what happens. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing yeah. when, that, when we have an entire population of people that are in a position where they are privileged enough. And I even, I'm even talking about co- folks that are subjugated, you know, a lot of subjugated folks. If, when you're at the house, you're living pretty comfortable compared to people in a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. But, um, w- what kind of, what kind of position do you have to be as a population where you don't feel like it's your responsibility it's not like I like politics. I wish I could dedicate that part of my brain to something else other than having to worry about the way this bullshit works. But I don't I, I feel like it's my responsibility to be at least somewhat engaged and informed. And and I get what Todd was saying about having a profession where at the end of your day you hang your hat and you're like I literally like if I hadn't have been there it that could have went all to hell. That person could be dead. 
Like you actually see somewhat the fruits of your labor. And that goes a long way when it comes to like personal satisfaction. At least it does for me. And I would imagine it does for Todd as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just an incredibly difficult thing. Again, to tie it into Mark, to scale any of this shit up. Yeah. In yeah. a way that, that somebody that's not equipped, like I suck. I'm going to just say, like, I am no expert on anything, but I have, you know, I've gone to graduate school for statistics, advanced data analysis, blah, blah, blah. And I have the I don't even have the slightest inclination as to exactly what's going on. So how can you expect people that think very in a very linear way? which thinking in a linear way causes the least psychological distress. It's the easiest way, like, you know, to just show up to work, draw a check, go home, live simple, whatever. How do you get those people to give a fuck about something that's complex? How do you facilitate in human beings the urgency that they need to be more informed and they need to take more personal accountability for, for being, um, discerning consumers of information that it's their fucking responsibility that if you if you're capable and you live in a society then you are supposed to contribute and i think a lot of people that are sit around and be like well i work 60 hours a week and i work my ass off and these people are living on welfare well fuck sometimes i work 60 hours a week but i also do research like like if you're gonna live in this society with me and you're going to complain about people loafing off of this society, then you need to be participating as much as I motherfucking am at trying to fix social issues. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that the way to get people to start to care is to take things away from them. And where we saw that happen was just recently where you saw people's, and I'm doing my air quotes, freedoms get taken away. And by freedoms, I mean the ability to get goddamn breadsticks and haircuts and go bowling and fried dill pickle chips fried fried dill pickle chips and so like when those things got taken away you saw how people started to act and you saw how much they started to care about the this that or the other i'm sure a lot of those people who were up in arms and pissed probably didn't vote for their governor or whatever you know what i'm saying they probably didn't care about that election now here's the here's the thing that that worries me we have a we have a nation that when something bad happens to America, America will will lash out. Um, and you example is everything after um, after 9-11. I'm not showing I'm not saying not supporting troops. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But a lot of people got killed in, in two other countries. A lot of people got killed. Right. And when the what I gathered here was there's a there was a whole lot of anger towards and rightfully so there's a whole lot of anger, not just to the to the to the terrorist groups, but just to everyone over there. Absolutely everyone over there. Now, to scale that down a little bit, what scares me and when you scale it down to the amount of rage and the amount of protest and all this kind of shit that happened when people got told they had to stay inside, right? And and people were walking up with their assault rifles to governor's places. I mean, they're all over the place. I am scared, dude, scared out of my mind. I borderline 
I borderline want Donald Trump to win the next election because I'm fucking scared of how people are going. I saw how I saw these people throw fits over not having fucking haircuts and stuff like that. I'm scared to see them when they're when they're when their bro doesn't get picked for president. Like they cry, they they made fun of the the people who belong to the Democratic Party for crying and all that kind of stuff. Like I would much rather see people crying about their about their all star not getting picked to be president than seeing people walking around with guns trying to you know be deputy dipshit for their rights and all this other stuff. It fucking scares me, dude. It scares me to no end, and and so that's why I'm just like, dude, I need to. I, I have this crazy urge to just be away from here because of what of how people are going to be. But then the other part is that because I've grown up in in two different type of mentalities, like where I did grow up in an area that was low income, and then of course I was able to grow up in an area with with uh, where there was higher income, and then where I am now. I couldn't say the default is everyone goes to California where it's super liberal or something like that. That place is one of the most homogenous places on earth, dude. You can call it diverse, but say something over there. Cause I did this before I was at a bar. They were talking about, um, uh, having everyone like paying for like, uh, having school debt wiped and all this other kind of stuff. That's fine. But I said, how many of you guys just thought about like what you majored in, you know? And I said like, the argument that people are saying is that like, okay, you majored in art. What did you think was going to happen? Like, did you think that you were going to make a living that could sustain you in this place in San Francisco where a hundred thousand dollar salary is not even going to get you that much? Did you think that it was going to work here? So in, when you, when I said that it was just like the matrix. And if you remember that movie, when, when there is a foreign object in the system, everyone kind of looks at you weird. Like that is what you see over there. So it seems like to me there is no safe place in in America, period, to to I guess to live or think freely, like and to to say the stuff that we're saying and to actually put and to put it to action. It just doesn't seem like a place like that exists outside of media's fault. Yes, I'll agree with that. All of this is social media's fault. It's, it, social media has given every idiot in the United States a platform to feel like they're not idiots anymore. That's right. Well, oh. 40 years ago, if you were stupid, you worked at a crappy job and you lived your whole life and you knew you were dumb and nobody cared what you said. <laughs> but, but, now, <laughs> but now social media has, has given a platform where, where morons can gather together and and make themselves feel like uh, they have a right to be stupid. Like it's yeah. hey, oh. me, me out for being wrong, but you know, being wrong is not even being wrong anymore. It's an opinion. I can have an yeah. opinion, and it's wrong. Oh. to it, and uh, yeah, social media destroyed this country. I mean, it's a fact. Oh yeah, yeah it's almost it's almost just cool to be contrary. Like just yeah. to be anti-intellectualism, what be half stupid, yeah. and be contrary. Be proud of. I'm a dummy, and and that's who I am. And and it's yeah. okay. this is America. I can be stupid if I want to be. Yeah, uh, it's disgusting. And and again, I, that's part of the thing is if you're going to participate in this grand experiment, you need to pull your fucking weight. You 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 know you were talking about you know those jobs where you just show up draw a paycheck, go home. There's more to it than that. You're not some patriot just because you do that shit. You need mm-hmm. to shine some light on what the hell's going on at the, in the country at large. 
Yeah. But again, we worship money. We don't we don't worship human life. Like I feel and again, it's not some kind of noble thing. I'm sure I could explain it away with, you know, some psychosocial terms, but it it is it fills my cup up to know that there is a quantifiable better difference in Bowling Green as a result of my efforts that I have that legacy that you talk about, Kalu, where I've got Mm -hmm. a list of names of people that I have either helped get off the street and into housing or helped get out of a personal care home and into housing. And and no amount of money can fucking buy that. Seeing some, seeing somebody that's never had their own place and they're, fucking 55 years old, never had their own place in their entire life. And I get them a TV and a bed, even if it falls all to shit, y'all. And a lot of times it does like, it's a difficult thing. Those are the kinds of things that I I feel like people that draw, just draw checks that just participate in the money, money grab system. Yeah. They're not augmenting their empathy. And again, it's very taxing. It's easy for us to get burnt out as civil servants. It's real fucking easy to get jaded and bad days and stuff, man. And, and like Todd was talking about, like that threshold, you know, hit about 20 years or so, man. Then you're like, you're just burnt out with the shit. All right. So I want to do what I was like, wouldn't it be cool that if at each of those tax brackets, you were required to do eight additional hours of community service a year. Dude, dude, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of the idea. Like Israel makes their, uh, citizens serve in the military. I'm a huge proponent of of having young people have to sub, uh, serve the community a certain amount of time. I I, I don't give a fuck. I think it's an important thing. I want to get some closing statements. Uh, we're at an hour and 30, and uh, obviously, I knew that this was gonna was going to run long, but I feel I feel good. So I want to get some closing statements. I want to start with you, Mark, and then we'll kind of move around. So let's hear it. If you got, think I, I think I think I already made a closing statement. I thought I just did that <laughs> the last time I, I spoke, but um, uh, yeah, uh, maybe I'll go last. Okay, Chris, let me hear what you got, man. God damn. Um, I hate to say it, but I, I, f- I feel like shit's bleak. And, and if I'm honest, like we're, we're in a position, all of us are in a fortunate position that we even get to sit here and discuss this the way that we are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's philosophy. But if I don't, I feel like if some something meaningful doesn't happen soon, then we're just going to within the next 20 years. This shit is fundamentally not sustainable. And we yeah. got to get away from, we have to get away from this. And I like guns and I like lifting weights and, and doing like conventionally masculine shit. But we got to get away from this like macho retribution based tit for tat. It's almost like Kota Himurabi over here in the United States. We yeah. got to get away from that. And we have to. We have to spark something in the population, like a renaissance in the population, yeah. whereby people feel like it's their responsibility to yeah. consume information objectively and not consume information that necessarily reinforces their viewpoint. Because yeah. we all, every one of us here, we have politicians telling us we're great, we're amazing. 
we're the greatest country on earth. And that is enabling as fuck. You wouldn't do that to a drug addict, somebody that's got some kind of problem. You wouldn't facilitate them in that way and just gas them up. We've got some serious issues that need to be addressed. And the first step in that is not necessarily assigning ourselves this like individual uniqueness and self-importance. And then also thinking that our country is by default the greatest country on earth. All right, Todd, what do you got, man? Closing statement, man. Uh, I'll just piggyback off of that. Um, I think that uh, it, no matter who you are, whatever your profession may be or whatever, our country has to get back to the to the point of, of making education something that's popular and something that's important. I feel like uh, over the last few years, we've, we've uh, become okay with being dumber mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and pushing people toward uh, being okay with not challenging uh, their their uh, preconceived notions about things and, and making the pursuit of knowledge a weak a weak yeah. perceived pursuit mm-hmm. and so, uh, that's that's what I I think that's the answer to, to everything is to just pursue pursue education whoever you are um, and we're as a country either on the verge of making a a change and turning a corner uh, to getting this thing straightened out, or we're about to sink and, and completely lose our yeah. country and, and, and devolve into total chaos forever. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Shep, is she over there? Oh, I'm here. Sorry, I'm looking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you uh, should be. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I had to throw that there. Um, you can only talk about this during. Um, our conversation, but I think it's very incumbent upon white women, especially to make certain that they are teaching the children who are white, um, who are not of color, that we do have white privilege and that we have to make certain that we recognize that. And also for white women to stop demonizing black men and other men of color, because what we saw happen in Central Park this past week was absolutely horrific. Um, where someone who was supposed to be, you know, a friend, somebody who was supposed to be a Democrat, they were liberal, they were supposed to be on the side that you would think that they're not going to act that way was the very person that was, you know, demonizing a man who was just watching birds. So white women really need to do a better job of making sure that um, our friends and our neighbors who are men of color know that they can feel safe around us because I think that probably one of the biggest fears to men of color are white women. And it should be because we have the ability to ruin someone's lives very quickly. Um, So we have a great responsibility to change our perception and to help make sure that people feel around us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get back. I'm going to circle back to you, Mark. Did you have anything? Are you, are you good or I'm good? Okay. Okay. Um, for me, it's, um, it's, it's this, it's this, this past couple of days have been really, really tough. It has been, it's caused me to really evaluate a ton of stuff. Like I was saying, the, the sheer amount of concessions and the amount of times that I capitulated just to be able to fit in or just because I wanted to somehow win the game and that does come from like growing up in a blended system. And, and I, while I am thankful for the people who introduce me, 
to that system, I do believe that I should have taken some more ownership and recognized where I came from. And it's people don't understand, like when you grow up in first low income place and then you get surrounded by people with that live there and I'm doing my air quotes normal life, it's it's easy to forget about where you came from and it's easy to forget like when you get into that life of privilege, man, because I think that even there is privilege in, in, in the life that I have. But I it wasn't until I was older and, and it really goes to the point of what Shep said is that no matter how well I may do in life, I am always one small mistake away from either being in jail or being shot or anything like that. And it's that is the toughest part that I don't think that anyone will ever understand unless you look like me. Um, it's it's a it's a tough situation. And I want to believe that we can be better, but we we cannot continuously repair issues using solutions that belong to a system that is continuously cause the same problems. And I'm all for burning it all down. I'm all for the chaos. Again, if we're willing to rebuild it in an image that fits this new look of America, I think that America is fighting itself right now because it is realizing that its culture, its value system, all that kind of stuff is no longer sustainable. And we do blame, uh, the social media platforms and all that kind of stuff for it. We live these lives where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And that does result in that. What about ism? Because when you see another tragedy happening elsewhere, you'll ask, what about, what about what's going on over here? What about me? What about my feelings and all that kind of shit? And we validate and, and further, you know, reinforce those things with liking those statuses and and sharing these things and saying shit like get him wheezy by taking things out of context, by glorifying anti intellectualism, just like even Todd said, dude, we are making it cool to be fucking dumb. There is you have to f- draw the line between right, wrong and opinion like there is right and there is wrong and you you cannot say well it's just my opinion like let's agree to disagree that's the dumbest shit ever dude it is ridiculous we've got to be better about taking a stand even me and i and i make comments about uh the the being libertarian all the kind of stuff we kind of get the rap for being fence riders if if you will or being too too middle of the road and allowing chaos but there's just certain things that i you 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 have to take a side on this like, I believe you absolutely have to. And if and it's not just taking a side and and sharing statuses about it. It's putting people in check when they say stuff wrong. It's t- like encouraging people to do research. It's watching uncomfortable videos. It's viewing uncomfortable pieces of history. If we're going to get better, we have to recognize and accept the deepest and darkest parts of our humanity, of our culture, of our society, everything. We have to be able to recognize that, rip the Band-Aids off. And only then are we going to be able to solve anything. That's why I repeat that the chaos is needed. Um, I know that there's going to be more destruction or whatever. I hope there is. I will be disheartened if we just go back to normal and we act like this stuff didn't happen. Mark made that comment earlier of if you were to beat someone up or this, this is an abusive relationship. That's what this is. This is an abusive relationship. If And you think of those relationships where 
the one person beats up another spouse and then two days later they forget as if that shit happened and this happens over and over and over and one of us has to take accountability and wake up and say like dude if i can't be a part of the system that that will mean maybe disabling some of your subscriptions to certain things that might mean turning off your facebook or your insta or all these other things just choosing to like there this shit going on outside of my window is more entertaining than what i see on on social like i think that covid has exposed all of us it has 100% exposed all of us and at least in my neighborhood there's more people standing outside of their driveways and talking to each other there's more people going out and actually getting to know their neighbors rather than doing it online and that's because it's more natural to be able to go out there and talk to people and reason with people as opposed to taking in everything from the internet so yeah i know i said a whole lot but goddamn we we've got a lot of work to do but i think it's work worth doing if we're really serious about it um so with that i, I just want to thank all you guys for taking the time i don't want to do any shameless shout outs or anything like that today um thank you all for your time for listening shep and and todd thank you guys so much um th- you know you guys you guys have been fantastic for jumping on um, yeah will, thank you all yeah i'll give a shout to to bgpd i hope that uh, I don't think that anything that he said was disparaging or anything like that. Like I'll vouch for for, for Todd all day. Um, it's just it's I'm, I'm just so thankful that uh, I, and I feel better because I was even saying that like I'm just inherently just like there is more fear in my head for police and knowing that there's people there's hopefully more people like you Todd out there and knowing that there's more people like you Shep in in the legal system and stuff like that kind of stuff does help put me a little bit more at ease I'm still gonna buy a gun though for real but like you know I'm still get a Glock (laughs) sell your Springfield (laughs) but uh inside to get things for me so he didn't hear any of that but I'll tell him that you said yeah 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 so I hope everyone takes care of themselves. I hope you guys Thank take you. care of each other. Continue to socially distance. Continue to follow the rules. You know, talk to your fucking neighbors. Go outside. Get off the goddamn internet. Enjoy yourselves. And we are out. Peace. Peace.